Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I am Caleb. I am Pastor Larry's oldest son. He is at home and resting and getting better. He plans to be back here with you all next Sunday. But I was happy that he asked me to be here, and I, so I flew back, and I get to be with you two weeks in a row. If you weren't here last week, I'll give you a, a slight recap in just a moment, but uh, glad that we could be together this morning as we continue in this series from Genesis. Yeah, thanks. Uh, let me tell you a story about a friend of mine. When, when I was growing up, this is probably high school. This is high school years. <clears throat> I had two close friends, and one was named Kevin, and he was a swimmer and a water polo player. Another one was named Al, and he played football and lifted weights and was kind of a big guy. We went to uh, Orange County beaches. I think it was Huntington or Newport Beach, and we were out there, and it was just a fun summer day. We were doing our thing, playing around. Kevin, obviously a water polo player, was very comfortable in the water. And so he's doing his thing. He's catching waves. He's carrying them in. Al, not so much. You know, big football muscle, but very prideful. And he's going he's gonna to keep up and he's going to do the thing. Uh, but we noticed, Kevin and I noticed, I was in the middle, by the way. Okay. I mean, I can, I can hold my own. Uh, we noticed that Al began to drift. There was a tough rip current uh, at the beach that day, and we were, we were swimming, and we were catching waves, and then Kevin and I noticed that Al was drifting away, and he had gone about maybe 100 yards in that direction. We started to think, come on, bro, like, wave at, like, this way, this way. You know how you do, like, when you're first starting, like, come on, swim this direction, buddy. But he had got caught in the rip current, and it was pulling him out and toward the jetty, the rocks. And so Al start. I mean, he, he's, he's not panicking because he's trying to play it cool, but he's nervous, and he's trying to get back to shore, and he's trying to swim and get out of this rip current. And we're kind of waving at him. We're kind of going toward the water and walking his way like, uh, let's go. Uh, the lifeguard notices and throws on his little buoy red thing and starts running, does his best Baywatch out into the waves and starts swimming toward Al, and Al is very embarrassed at this time, but by the time the lifeguard gets there, he's just grateful, and he just grabs onto him, and then he realizes he can stand up, <laughs> and the water's only about right here, and nevertheless, the lifeguard walks him back to the shore, and Kevin and I ridicule him still 20 years later. But here's what I have learned, what I noticed then, what I, what I still see today, is that our culture, the culture that we live in, is kind of like a rip current, kind of like a riptide. It will pull you, and if you pick up your feet, it will take you where you don't want to go. But if you realize that it's a big hoax, and that you have the strength and the power to just stand up and walk back toward the shore or walk back out of this current and into the waves that are carrying you where you want to go, it's different and it's good. And so I want to expose today, just in a few, in a few moments together, our culture has this current that's pulling us in a way that we don't want to go as it relates to work. And you'll hear messages in our world, this is not a culture bashing message, but 
we will hear currents, it's important to be aware, in our culture that are pulling us in one way or another, either toward the four-hour work week that some of us are still searching for, where you get independently wealthy enough that you don't have to work anymore, or toward this obsession with work that we just can't turn it off. That we're always connected, the phone is always there, it's the first thing we look at, we're checking the markets, we're checking the email, we're going to bed and we're making sure there's no fires to put out before we sleep. First thing we do, we make sure there weren't any fires while we were asleep at night. And we never stop working. But the truth is God designed this whole relationship with work on purpose, for a purpose, and with something in particular in mind for all of us. So as we continue in this series, I'm going to take you to Genesis chapter 2, where it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Some of us grew up thinking that work is part of the curse, that work is punishment. And we try, we try and we spend all our lives trying to get to the point where we don't have to work anymore. But the truth of the matter is, it's hardwired into the universe and into you. That he designed this universe such that work can be rewarding and purposeful. And we need it to experience some level of fulfillment, whether it's just volunteering and serving or whether it's working hard at a job, in the home. It doesn't matter what it looks like. He's designed us to work. It's not necessarily something to escape. And his example was to work for six or to work for a rhythm and then rest. And there's this rhythm, work, rest, work, rest. And he set that example for us to pay attention to. Last week when I was here, we talked about the fact that our words create worlds, that when we speak, we speak things into existence, that your words are working even when you're not, that when you say something, it is accomplishing some kind of purpose, whether you intended that purpose or not, that our words will stick with people, that our words go with people for years and decades. Some of you are still hearing words from your parents or from leaders in your life when you were young today that our words have an impact, so use your words wisely. Our words are part of the creative process. They spark, they're the beginning of new things. And now what we see is our hands have that power to work it out. That we speak and we create the spark, but then we work to, to build it, to see it through. I want to give you an example. This is a fun example. Uh, in honor of my dad, if he was here doing this message, he would have been using this example, so I thought I would use it too. Plus, it allows you to hear some cool jazz stylings from one John Coltrane. You can play it in the background. John Coltrane wrote a song called A A Love Supreme, recognized as a musical masterpiece. He had enormous This song had enormous personal significance for Coltrane. In the spring of 1957, his dependence on heroin and alcohol lost him one of the best jobs in jazz. He was playing sax and touring with the famous Miles Davis and his popular group when Coltrane became unreliable and strung out on drugs. A drug addict 
At the same time as a brilliant musician, Coltrane's behavior and playing became increasingly erratic. Davis fired him after a live show that April. Soon after, Coltrane resolved to clean up his act. He would later write in the notes in 1964 of A Love Supreme that in 1957 I experienced, by the grace of God, a spiritual awakening which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. At that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and privilege to make others happy through my music. And I feel that that has been granted by His grace. And the biographer finishes, it changed how he looked at work. People's perspective on life and work shifts for one of two reasons. Usually, uh, it can shift your, your, your perspective, your paradigm, how you see the world, how you see your job, because of inspiration or devastation. For Coltrane, it was devastation. For us, perhaps, here this morning, it can be just this little bit, 20 minutes of inspiration. Coltrane needed an escape. In his mind, he needed an escape from his work and probably from his life in general. And his escape mechanisms were heroin and alcohol. And those are the things that pulled him out of the present moment. But we all wrestle with this. We're all looking for escapes from something in some area of our lives. And you might not choose heroin. Maybe you choose alcohol. Maybe you don't. But an escape is a compulsion that we go to when we don't want to feel what we're feeling. And for a long time, Coltrane, for whatever reason, had associated his work with feelings that he didn't want to feel, a lack of fulfillment, a lack of meaning and purpose. But then he had a spiritual awakening, and his paradigm shifted, and he had a new perspective, and he saw that even his work was the grace of God, that he could use his art his gifts and abilities, the abilities that he had in his hands and his fingers, the ability to create music, to serve other people. What a privilege, he said. God, if you would just give me the grace to be able to serve other people with these gifts and abilities that you have given me. And the perspective shift. The perspective shifted. And for us, when we view work as grace, you can embrace the grind. When you view work as grace, you can embrace the grind. In fact, the grind can even become a joy. When you realize, man, God has given me, in me, and who he, and how he's made me, the creative gene to participate with him in the ongoing development and creation of this world around me and in other people's lives. I can serve other people with the skills and abilities that he's given me. What a grace. What a gift. And then the grind can become a joy. You can get fulfillment. Because the grind leads to growth, which is the way that we become fulfilled. Have you ever been around someone that's independently wealthy or they just stop working? They're miserable people. They're not happy. Because they have all this money and they don't think that they need to apply it to anything, that is not producing fulfillment. 
Because God hardwired into us that as we serve, as we give, as we contribute, as we grow and help other things and people grow, we are fulfilled in that way. Colossians chapter 3 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you are creating music, whether you're creating art, whether you're constructing buildings and structures, whether you're designing something that will be created in the future, whether you're investing in the lives of the next generation, whether you're doing the most important work of raising the next generation in your home, whatever you are doing, however you are speaking and using your words and using your hands, do it for God, remembering that it's His grace. It's grace right in the middle of the grind. It's grace that you are like Him in a way, not that you're a God, but you're godly. And he's given you the ability to contribute, to cultivate, to create, to grow. And there's grace in that. Even if you feel like you're doing a job a monkey could do. That it's just a common job that anyone can do. It's not common when it's through you. Because there's no one else like you. And you reflect this God in a way that no one else can. And thus, as it works its way through you, you're reflecting him uniquely. You're contributing uniquely. It is not worthless. It is not just common. You are part of the creative, the ongoing creative process when you work. Last Monday night, just this past Monday night, I was watching Monday Night Football. And the New Orleans Saints were playing, and Drew Brees set the all-time record for football for most passing yardage, more passing yardage in a career. And the whole game stopped, national television, everything stopped when he completed that pass. It was a touchdown, and he crossed over, and he, he, it was beyond, I think it was Peyton Manning. He got more yards than him on this one pass play, and they stopped everything. And all his team came out and gave him hugs. The opposing team gave him hugs, and congratulated him. And then he had this private moment, not quite private, it's for millions of people, but he had this like intimate moment with his family on the field, and he, the microphone picked it up, and he hugged his little kids, and he said to them, I love you boys, I love you. And then he said, anything is possible if you're willing to work for it. Anything is possible if you're willing to work for it. In this moment on national television, that is what he told his kids. And when he was asked after by a broadcaster, hey, what did you say to your kids in the field? It seemed like that was significant. He said, well, that's what I tell them every night. Every night when I put them to bed. That if they're willing to work for it, anything is possible. So, of course, I've started saying it to my boys when I put them to bed at night all week this week hoping that they don't realize that their dad isn't a Hall of Fame quarterback. But nonetheless, I just whisper to them and encourage them. I, I couch it with almost anything as possible because I have this like sneaking suspicion. If you're 6'8 and your dream's to be a great horse jockey, it's probably not going to play out, you know? But the principle is there. If you're willing to work for it, I tell my boys now, almost anything is possible. Almost anything is possible if you'll put in the work. 
if it's a desire that God has put in you, if it's how he's wired you and created you, if you see the dream out in front of you, if you're willing to work for it, if you find joy and grace in the grind, you can accomplish anything. Drew Breeze. I was on a flight recently, and I was sitting next to a farmer. And I'm not really the, the talkative type on flights. I try to sleep or just get on my laptop. But this farmer, he was the talkative type. And so he engages with me. And, and so I know quickly about his farm and his land and his family and all this kind of stuff. One of the things that I thought was interesting that he brought up was that corn, corn takes 110 to 120 days to grow. Did you know that? 110 to 120 days to grow. And he, may, he mentioned, he said some people when they're starting out, whether it's corn or something else, they'll plant and they'll wait. And there's some crops that they don't show anything for months. And then all of a sudden they sprout quickly. And the tragedy is when novice people in their homes or on their farms pull something up just a few days or weeks too soon and are impatient and realizing that God has wired this universe in such a way that for some reason, corn takes 120 days to grow. And for some reason, the project that you've been working on, the thing that you've been praying for, the dream that you've been trying to build toward, that's not yet realized, but you keep planting and keep watering, the fulfillment of that might be just around the corner. And I think someone needs to be reminded to keep on going to keep on working, to find grace in the grind and don't give up yet. God's hearing your prayers and he will bless your efforts. It's how he designed you. Work is not a punishment. Change the paradigm. Change your perspective. Find grace in the grind that he's wired you and designed you to contribute. The farmer he said, he said, you know, if you're in too big a hurry, you're going to end up hungry. <laughs> you're going to pull it out too soon. You're going to screw up your crop. If you're in too big a hurry, you're going to end up hungry. But if you view work as grace, you can embrace the grind. Just on a very small scale, I'm, I'm living it, I'm preaching to myself even right now. Recently, I started a blog and a podcast. There are things that I've always wanted to do and just haven't done them because I was busy doing other things and I just decided this is the season, this is the time, I'm going to do it. And I was nervous and I was reluctant and insecure about it because I follow people who are the best at what they do and I've never done, I've written books but I've never done a blog because I thought that it would be a failure if I wasn't Seth Godin or some like mega blogger person. I've just decided I'm going to do it. It's therapeutic for me and I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it every day. And it's just going to be the grind that I'm going to do every day. So at chewables.blog, I'm just blogging every single day. I'm podcasting every week and I'm just leaning into it. And you might find that you're not doing a dream. You're not doing something that you are wired and designed and maybe even good at because you're afraid or you're comparing yourself to someone else. Just embrace it. Just embrace the grind and know that you don't have to be someone else, that you're designed uniquely as you. There is no one else like you, and you never know what's possible if you'll just lean in with both hands and grind 
and go and work and find grace in the journey and joy in the journey. Anything is possible. Keep going. You're almost there. And God set another example for us too. He worked for six days and he rested on the seventh. Did he need to rest? I don't know. Probably not. But he wanted us to understand something. He set an example for us. Not so that we could have religious rituals that we just have to do the same thing and, and like they screwed up in Jesus' day when he was walking the earth and they just obsessed about the, what they called the Sabbath and just worshipped this day and were a slave to the day. You can become a slave to religious rituals and miss the whole, miss the whole point. But what God is suggesting when he rests is that we must rest. Not as punishment, not as discipline, not as a religious formula, but because he's designed us that way. To build in rhythms of rest. And in doing so, remember that we are not the ultimate source. That we partner with him in the creative process, but we are not the creator. He allows us to partner with him, but he is the ultimate source. Hebrews 4 says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works and God did, as God did from his. We co-create, we work with, we collaborate, we grind, we push, we do it, and then we pause and we rest and we remember the world is not hinging on our activity that there is a God in heaven who keeps this whole thing turning. And while he invites us to co-create with him and to work and to use the gifts that he's given us, the opportunities, the, the skills, all of that stuff, absolutely, and we work, and don't forget to rest. If you forget to rest, then you begin to think that it's all about you and that your success, your accomplishment, your achievement are really all about you. And you're not trusting and you're not embracing, and you're not receiving the grace in the rest as well. There's grace for the grind, and there's grace when you rest, preparing for the next week. There's grace in both. Don't cheat yourself out of remembering that the God of the universe keeps this whole thing spinning. He'll participate with you, but he's also okay without you for a day. He can keep it up, and he can restore you and reinvigorate you for the work that you have to come. It's a healthy, helpful habit to get used to just saying, God, thank you for the grace of my work. I enjoy it. I'm changing my paradigm. I'm focusing in a different way, and thank you that even when I'm not working, you are, and that you've got this, and that your grace is sufficient for me in all the ways. I am grateful. I want to invite the band up, and we're going to take a moment just to pause and reflect. I want to invite you, if you're willing, to just close your eyes for a moment, will you? And please imagine with me your week in front of you. Maybe, maybe today you have to go back to work, or maybe the rest of the day this is, this is what people call their Sabbath, and that you're going to rest. If so, visualize yourself not checking your email constantly. Visualize yourself not obsessing about the meetings tomorrow. See yourself 
actually resting. And maybe even as a physical demonstration, put your hands on your, on your thighs and open your hands and just say, God, I trust you. I want to receive your grace, the gift that you give of rest. I want to remember that you are God and that you've hardwired this universe and that you have designed me, yes, to work, also to rest. And then visualize your week and imagine yourself going into those difficult situations now with renewed passion and focus, now with the ability to see grace in the grind. That person who's difficult, that thing that you're not looking forward to, that you can see that God has uniquely positioned you where he has for such a time as this, and he's bringing good through you, through your words, also through your hands as you work. God, we are grateful for the grace that you have given us, that everything we have is a, is a gift. Every good thing we have is from you, the gift of relationship with you, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of a fresh start, and God, the gift to use our unique abilities to serve you as we work. Help us to embrace that this week and to embrace grace and rest. In Jesus' name. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Will you stand with me? At the conclusion of every service, every Sunday, there is a prayer wall up here and members of the prayer team that are uh, along that side to pray with you. Uh, perhaps before you go out into the craziness of the world and everything that comes against you, it would be helpful to just pause and pray with someone to affirm what you heard today, to affirm what God's doing in you, and to set a new, chart a new course as you go out. So take them up on that. That's why they are there. I just want to offer a simple prayer of blessing over you before you leave. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you peace as you embrace the grace and rest. And this week, even the grace and the grind. May God bless you. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.